My name is Zach Como, and you're listening to the My Tech Decisions Podcast. Like I said, my name is Zach, and I'm your host. Now that we are about two years into this remote or hybrid work experience, we can look back and analyze how we've all adjusted to distributed work. However, when we do that, we get very different answers based on if we're talking to the C-suite executives or employees. Generally, employees want their employer to retain some form of hybrid work flexibility, which has been proven in countless studies from the tech industry over the last two years. However, executives lean towards bringing employees back to the office, and that's according to NTT's Global Workplace Report. To talk about that report and this disagreement about the future of work, we welcome on Alex Bennett, SVP of Global Workplace at NTT. We talk about the report's findings, the possible reasons for the disconnect, and how technology can play a role in solving these issues. Before we get to the interview, here's a quick reminder to subscribe to the podcast on the three major podcast platforms, and to check out mytechdecisions.com for information that can help you make the right IT decisions for your organization. And now, here's Alex Bennett. All right, we now welcome on Alex Bennett, the SVP of Global Workplace at NTT. Alex, uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Zach. Very, Very happy to be here and hope you're well. Yeah, so we are discussing NTT's Global Workplace Report. Um, yeah, what stood out to you? You know, what are the report's main findings? I mean, the, probably a bit of background also to the report, just to help you and your listeners. In it's um, a report we've done for the last couple of years. In fact, the first one we did really back in sort of summer of last year, which was interesting because it mm. was just starting of the the pandemic, and there was a lot of information about business continuity. Uh, and this year's report, we've really started to see the transformation around. You know, not just business continuity, but what are new ways of working? And you know, we interviewed about 1,500 organizations from all around the world, you know, different demographics, cultures, different personas as well. So we, we had about 400 chief HR officers. We had CEOs. About 40% of the respondents were C-level. But mm-hmm. we also counted that with a lot of information on a separate survey with the same questions, the voice of the employee. So... It was really interesting to get the view of the employee directly and the organization and the organization's assumptions around what their employees thought and looked at those sort of that that, that almost discrepancy, which we can come in and talk about more. Yeah, yeah. So let's dive right into that. You know, what, what was that discrepancy and, and you know, what did, you know, the executives think employees thought? So, I mean, the main area was I think executives starting to feel you know, almost two years into this, the situation, this crisis that we've been brought into, that they've they've started to create a strategy, and that strategy is being executed out through their their organisation. And so, CEOs, you know, up to ninety percent of the CEOs believe that they had a a clear strategy around new new ways of working, and that they were then deploying these new policies out to their their employees. Uh, 
when we actually saw feedback from the operational staff, so those people actually looking at how do you execute, you know, putting that policy or guideline into, into reality and embedding that into the new culture and purpose of an organization. And, and less than 50% said that they actually were able to execute on the strategy currently defined mm -hmm. by the executive team. And then you look at the employees and the employees were actually saying only 25% of them were actually very happy in their current employment. So right. this dichotomy, I think everyone's trying to work through is people have reevaluated what's important to them. You know, salary remuneration is always going to be a hygiene factor that people are you know, really thinking about. But work-life balance came up as the number one area outside of remuneration that people are really thinking about, you know, how are they actually and where they have to travel in safety um, is always, you know, there as being critical. So those sort of components, those softer factors are becoming more important and the executives are having to think about how they then you know, respond to that. Mm. What about, what about the, this gap in terms of uh, where employers think their employees want to work? I know uh, almost 80% of organizations surveyed think employees want to work in the office, but really uh, less than half of employees, uh, you know, want to do that full time. Um, you know, how do you how do you solve that that discrepancy? You know, what are what are the solutions there? I mean, this is the conversation I have with clients all around the world, pretty much every day. Because I think people talk about hybrid working almost like a brand. It's a product. Yeah. Okay, here you go. And you see you know, people wanting to define, well, that means it's 60% of the time in the office, 40% remotely. And then you start to really think about, well, every country's got a different culture. You know, some countries, you actually can't get good connectivity at home. So it's very hard to feel as though you're connected to have purpose. Um, I think also, you know, you start to think about um, other areas such as just technology you know do you do you have you know the, the tools to enable you to carry out those tasks uh, and then you have different age groups are you digital native are you non-digital you know that that doesn't also just have to be about age it's just about your ability to think about how tools are used so all of these factors come in and are, are quite interesting and organizations as you said said yeah when it's safe to do so 80 percent of our employees will want to come back into the workplace but when we asked the employees themselves it was a pretty much a split of 30, 30, 30. That 30% were looking at, actually, I really like working remotely. And that could be based on personality more than anything. And we'll come back to that because I think that's critical. When you look at personas, it isn't just a persona by job function, it's personality also. And then you had 30% saying, actually, I quite like to be in the office part of the week and I want to be remote other times. And then you had about 35% saying, I'd quite like to be back into the office. And that will change by, you know, is that a true office-based role or are you a frontline worker? Because you won't have some of that flexibility if you're having to work in a retail environment or healthcare. So some of those components also differ by actual jobs or industry that you're in. Right. So how do you solve some of these issues, um, you know, with the help of the, you know, IT department and, and these, you know, massive te technology companies that, you know, really have been front and center of solving, you know, the, the um, you know, or helping companies, you know, shift to remote or hybrid work, like, you know, Zoom, Microsoft with Teams, um, Slack, um, you know, how do you leverage more of those tools and maybe other technologies that I didn't, I didn't mention to, you know, solve some of these issues and give 
employees that flexibility. Yeah, I mean, from a technology standpoint, we've definitely seen a, an acceleration and a move to the cloud. Um, and you know, if you, you think back to the report we did last last year, a lot of the technology questions are about actually how do we just get access into our applications. So we, we've got some form of collaboration. It's not all in the cloud. So do we need to provide a VPN to all of our employees? Do they have you know, hardware to be able to support those VPNs running efficiently just to connect them for them to carry out a task? So we, we definitely have seen a significant number, as you said, Slack, Teams, WebEx One have all grown their average users or their monthly active users considerably. It's just exponentially grown. So that, that has started to enable people to feel as though they're connected you know, into this new Ghana Storm sort of you know, workplace hub, you know, this collaboration digital world where they can actually carry out tasks, share content, collaborate, communicate visually through phones all together. But I think if you, if you don't relate that back into some fundamental culture and purpose and, and guidelines, technology just become sort of like a plaster you know it's you really got to think about well if we are going to drive work to be a, a both a digital and physical activity how do we make sure that introverts do want to actually communicate and collaborate and not just sort of hide and and just do certain tasks but that's not helping a company in terms of innovation and having their their voice heard um, so we always sort of say that technology has to be underpinned by a very clear view of what is the new culture, what are the purpose, and then how will technology become a foundation or enabler for that activity to occur. Probably, Zach, what, the other thing which has really come up as being interesting is, is, is data and insights. Because even now with all of this, you know, utilization of, of Zoom as we're using now and everything else is, you're getting huge amounts of unstructured data about how people are engaging together. So you no know, behavioral data or, or graph data and, and different types of industry sector or different types of role, you're starting to see different patterns of how they engage with people, both in a physical environment and a digital right. environment. And you can start to correlate some of those through these insight engines where you can look at how quickly do we get a product out to market? Know, pull information from workday or success factors, how many people are leaving or staying with our company, and then how are they collaborating on Teams or other platforms, and then start to correlate through AI and ML about actually what's best practice. And that, that then comes back into, I think, where the industry will start to go to is, you know, that nudge, sort of actually how do I nudge a team to start to think about this is the right way to work for this area. We, we've seen insights. And does it relate back to the individual requirements of what they want from their career? So there's, there's all these aspects coming in at this time of a great sort of attraction retention of talent war, which is going on at the moment. And everyone's trying to get technology out there to say they're doing it. And it's, it's really hard to try and execute. So, yeah, that's a um, good segue into my next question. Uh, the report also touches on that. Um, you know, our dependency on, on you know, these emerging technologies um, is growing but we lack some of the internal skills to optimize them. So I'm assuming one of them would be, um, you know, uh, data analysis, um, one of those skills we lack. So what other, what, other, what other skills are we lacking that would help us really leverage these technologies to really, you know, to really, um, you know, solve some of these issues that the report talks about? I think, I think the, there's some basics in there, which is just adoption. So 
don't just throw technology out there and expect someone just to work it out by themselves. Actually, you know, give them a, a, an ability to understand and the, what, what is the value of that technology for you in your specific role? And why is that going to help you be productive and engaged? So if you do that, you get better buy-in and you have more than 30% of a team or a 30% of an organization understanding how to do that, you very quickly get a higher level of proliferation across your whole organization. So I think you know, we, we've seen tactically organizations in the past would do that through um, you know, humans going in, understanding behavioral science. That's harder to do now. So things such as avatars and, and chatbots and NLP type of engines looking at how you're using technology and then again nudging you are were you aware you haven't spoken to this person for a while or this person's working a lot in your area and that comes back to that graph data as those sort of uh, that data intelligence behind looks at who's also carrying out what work who they're normally working with and giving you guidance of, of how you might be able to do your role more and that becomes more intuitive I, th I think also if you even with Slack, I think I've got their um, sort of partner conference on at the moment, and they're offering you no know, code to all of their employees. So I, I do think in the future, it's about how do you give the tools and the platforms to allow your employees to start looking at how they want to engage and learn through their own career path. So you know, low code, no code, you no know, citizen development into environments that make it easier for them to carry out their tasks, building on top of these centralized platforms, you now in a secure way, I think it's going to be really key for attracting a, a new type of talent. So how do you, you know, juxtapose that, that um, you know, I guess technology, internal technology skills gap to the growing trend of uh, outsourcing, you know, IT services to MSPs and other service providers? is is that a good long-term approach or just kind of a necessity um, because of both the skills gap and the, the pandemic? Uh, it sort of, it's about how do you qualify what is an outsource? I mean, as NTT, we do a lot of work around managed services. And really the value of that is saying, we can take some of the pain away from operationalizing and supporting platforms, you know, be it networks, you know, from private 5G to campus through to SD-WAN and then through to collaboration. And, and really what that's about is there's a, there's a huge amount of technical debt at the moment as people have brought lots of disparate platforms together, right. trying to keep internal staff up to date with learning how to integrate those, train on them and then operate them is quite difficult when most companies are trying to rapidly digitize. Now, regardless of whatever industry sector you're in, if you're building cars, it's not just about building cars anymore. It's what actually is the software platform you're going to enable into that car. Now, what's the service you're going to be able to embed into that, that car and understand when the car needs a service. So they're really looking for business outcomes for their industry sectors. So I think outsourcing is more about supporting the, the fundamental platform that enables them the line of business to create their own code and an intellectual property that sits on the top. And there'll be mm. SIs that help with that sort of DevOps and AIOps into, into how you then define that. But I think outsourcing is more about that platform is always going to be up, which allows you to look at the insights, the data, analyze it, and make an informed decision. Right, right. Um, so it's just something I've, I've come across a lot, and I'm sure you guys have as well, talking to you know CIOs and 
you know, tech managers at, at you know, your customers. Um, I think burnout in IT and, you know, especially cybersecurity is a, is a real thing. Um, it's, and, you know, go on, um, you know, any IT page on Reddit or, or any other IT forum on social media, and you'll see people just, you know, throwing their hands up and, and in despair, just having a really you know, rough go of it over the last two years. Um, I kind of lost my train of thought. I'm sorry. Let me start over. <laughs> um, wow. What was I going to ask? Well, I, I can give you my, on cybersecurity. Sure. It was interesting in the report because 80% of the, the CISOs were saying they've seen heightened number of attacks as people right. have started to move into that hybrid world. And the whole strategy around security has started to move from perimeter, you know, which it had done prior to the pandemic, the same as you no know, flexible working has really started, mm. but it just accelerated in a way of moving to zero trust and, and thinking about you know, if you're moving to cloud, why wouldn't you embed security into the application or into the platform? Um, and we've seen that with employees where, you know, in the past you'd have your mobile phone and it's almost locked down, right, as a corporate device. Whereas now I'll use my own you know, iPhone, but, but actually the way I get information and content is regulated by information rights protection or data loss prevention. And that's just based around what is important for the company um, for that specific piece of data. And it segregates it to my personal life and everything else. So I think security is starting to move into that area. Um, but the cybersecurity side is also interesting from physical workspaces as people now are looking at trying to connect their buildings for things like you know, energy consumption. They've got you know, COP26 has stated, you know, you've got to look at your carbon, um, get moved to carbon zero by, by 2030. Well, nine out of 10 buildings in the UK still haven't even been digitally connected. So if you connect those buildings, that again is a security threat. As soon as you put like a back net connection into it, you can get into someone's network. So we're seeing a lot of people thinking about security from the physical environment and from the, the human standpoint. But there's definitely a proliferation of attacks happening across the board. Right. Right. Um, OK, so I have my train of thought back. All right. So given that that, um, you know, burnout and just, you know, this this technical debt that we're seeing, um, how you know would you advise organizations to kind of chip away at that debt and and you know more you know uh, quickly deploy and adopt that technology that will solve a lot of these issues? Yeah, and I, th I think it is about it's it's looking at what's going to have the best impacts. I think a lot of companies have, are trying to look at what are the core platforms, you know, ERP platform. Um, you know, a, a collaboration platform, a services platform. And from those, you know, they're, they're obviously acquiring a lot of startup companies, embedding it into the licensing structure that then supports that. But then what's the gap in between to really allow people to work? Uh, and that's where, you know, the wellness components come in and, um, you know, actually making sure that people are, are operating in a way which they believe is, is relevant to them for their work-life balance again and, and checking that and keeping on, on pushing that. So it's, it's a really thinking about what's key, what, what investment have we already done? Because if you have already deployed a collaboration platform three years ago, do you really want to rip that out and put something totally new in? Um, 
uh, and also you've got to think about the ecosystem because it's not just internal communication now it's about how do you connect with your wider clients partners supply chain and all of that coming together in a in a compliant fashion as well so i think people are starting to move to what does it mean for the individual rather than yes how do we deploy it just enterprise wide well what will it mean for our innovators our product managers our our sellers and some interesting things you know whiteboarding design thinking with sell- sellers going out to clients how do you do that when you're not in person so Platforms like Miro did extremely well in trying to bring that whiteboard experience into a remote environment. And so we're seeing that, but you you got to, again, who's going to add value from having that license? Otherwise, you can have huge technical costs of of licensing, but actually a very low utilization of the actual application itself. Very good. Alex, I think that answers the the questions that I had to ask. Unless there's anything else, you know, about the report that you know you think we need to hit on here. No, I think for me it's it's just been interesting to try and think about, you know, when you when you think of new ways of working or hybrid work or whatever the brand name is, it's about, you know, you've got to think of work itself. Ultimately you've got physical and digital. So work is is just fundamentally changing. I think you've then got workplace. You know, and I think, you know, in the past we've chatted about what's the impact to cities, you know, uh, mm. when you've got huge amounts of office space like London, but actually only 30% of people are coming in. So right. we're starting to see changes around, you know, office space being re-architected into some of it, which might be retail space or actually, you know, homes. And then part of it is is an office environment. But then on the flip side to that, the, the smaller and mid-sized towns where people are living and not they don't want to commute. So actually you're getting more of those sort of smart workplaces uh, like a WeWork or, you know, a Regis mm. where people are defining their own brand and, and, and security, but actually allowing their employees to, to go to those hubs for the social and human interaction. So that goes back to workplace and work informing what the workforce actually wants going forward and that's that increased work-life balance and those right. those softer factors so the three w's and different companies call it three p's you know people process uh, place that's that's really critical i think for every company to think about and pwc had a really good um podcast recently and they talked about almost having to re-recruit your own employees you need to go out and build that trust and rapport for them to believe that you're doing this. So re-recruit as well as then moving forward. So well, that's um brings up um another another uh issue that I you know have been uh, looking into. Um so if you're um say a a real estate developer you know about to build this giant office office building say downtown Boston because that's where I live um if you're doing so right now, it might not be in your in your best interest, given you know the, uh, these trends. Um, and you know how so how do you convince your tenants to to bring their employees you know back to the office? And if you're you know a, a CEO, CIO, or whatever, you know how do you convince your employees to come back? Yeah, and that that comes back to culture again, right? I mean, so this week Google announced they're actually going to purchase their office in London 
know, for a significant amount of money. And they're, mm-hmm. they're spending billions in doing you know, two offices up now into London because they feel for the type of work they want to do, they really want to have people back into a collaborative environment face to face. And to do that, you've got to make sure it's safe, right? The first and foremost thing is if you want to motivate someone to travel into London, you know, and then be in a physical environment where lots of other people are going to be after what's happened with the pandemic, you've got to have systems in place that as you come through that that door, at least you have responsibility to say that the air quality, you know, the lighting, heating, all those hygiene factors, you've got data to show that you're doing as everything you can do to be able to do it. So we've we've again seen it from the report, you know, 20% increase investment around things such as investment in the well certification or in mm-hmm. lean, you know, from a building standpoint. And companies have to actually show this through data. Otherwise it's, you know, you talk about it, but you can't prove it. So that's where I think, you know, companies are are doing that. And and the, the tenants and the property developers I've been quite successful, especially with there's people such as you know Edge, uh, uh, OVP uh, property developers, which I know Edge Technologies, and they're building all these brand new global headquarters, but they're all sustainable. So it's mm-hmm. sustainable material. You know, concrete has a big impact. So how don't you actually put wood, you know, into these new global environments? But more importantly, it's the retrofitting of the the sort of the brownfield sites and how you then look at that again and prove to people that you're doing the best around uh, sustainability, energy consumption, and well-being. Very good. Alex, uh, thanks very much. I appreciate your time. No worries. Thanks, Zach. Thanks for listening to another episode of the My Tech Decisions podcast, where it's our mission to help you make technology decisions for your company. If you would like to learn more, head to mytechdecisions.com or follow us on Twitter at mytechdecisions. You can also follow me on Twitter at ZWComo. Until next time.